You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. You can get your Bibles and turn to Lamentations. Lamentations. Right after Jeremiah there in the Old Testament. So the desolation, this is the story. So the desolation, I kind of ruins the feel when I just tell you what I'm about to do. But again, I'm rusty. Uh, The desolation was so complete that witnesses found it hard to blame human destruction. Buildings were toppled. Walls were scattered like toy blocks. Bodies lying strewn about the sun. Amid the ruins, a broken man staggers. His face bearing the empty expression of utter destruction. Everything he knows... Everything he loved is gone. Of those who once made this city the place where their marriages and children and work would be lived out, only a handful managed to escape. This man would write a letter to those survivors, a letter that is mostly about God. The writer's word in that letter turned to a personal grief. A copy of that letter has been preserved, and the words tell of someone trying to make sense of a tragedy that they knew was coming. The story is about Jeremiah, some call the weeping prophet, telling of uh, his job was to tell Israel of the destruction that was to come to their cities, to their people, because of their really worshiping of idols instead of the one true God. Most of his life was, he was ridiculed for his message. He was mocked, he was imprisoned, he was tortured, he was... Many things terrible happened to him because of what he said, because of the truth that he portrayed to his people that they did not want to hear. And when it all came down to it, what he said, or rather what God said, that would happen. And his people were destroyed, his cities were destroyed, they were carried off to captivity, and he was left with truth and sadness and despair. Jeremiah had tried to tell the people the judgment that was to come. And the letter that we spoke of here is in Lamentations. So if you're at Lamentations chapter 3, we'll read through a few verses here of his emotions, some of the feelings that uh, he felt, and the honesty that he kind of had with the Lord and with himself. Lamentations 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me, encompassed me with gall gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places, as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about, that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also, when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait, and as a lion in a secret place. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and sent me as a mark for the arrow. 
He hath caused the arrows of his quiver to enter my reins. I was in derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones. He hath covered me in ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering mine affliction and my misery, the wormwood and the gall. Wow. Depressing. Sad. Brutal. But this is how Jeremiah felt when he saw the destruction that the Lord brought to the cities that he loved, to the people that he loved, to the people that he was called to serve. It's a, it's a heavy book and a heavy portion of scripture, but it's honesty. It's how he was feeling. It's, it's again, he brought the truth to his people and they, they did not care for the message he brought. They arrested him for it. He suffered many bad things because of the truth that he portrayed, what God told him to say. And he didn't want to say it. When God came to him and said, you need to go tell the people this, he's like, I'm not real good at the speaking. Just like Moses did. And he says, don't worry, I'll help you. And this is the message he was to bring to his people. Not a hopeful message, but a message of destruction, a message of judgment, unless turning was done, unless repentance was brought. And at this point, after the destruction has come, after the people have been carried away, he's depressed and he's crushed. And you read some of the words that he says, some of the vivid word pictures he, he creates. Stones crushing his teeth. You ever got sand stuck in your teeth? And you're like, oh, ouch. Chewed the sand. I mean, he's he's picture, giving you a word picture of, of how he's feeling. He says he feels like stones that just crush his teeth. Depressed, crushed, alone. He's depressed and crushed for what's happened to his people. So crushed that he feels that God himself has it in for him. He believes that God is, is punishing him. That God has it in for Jeremiah. You ever had those thoughts? You ever had those feelings? You ever been so low and so depressed that everything, everywhere you looked, just looked dark? Every path you took looked to end in destruction. Or maybe you didn't know what path to take because there were no answers. Everywhere you looked for answers, there were none. Just emptiness. And it brought you low. It brought you spiritually low, physically low, emotionally low. That's part of humanity. Jeremiah was a human. And when bad things came, he felt human feelings just like we feel. And he went through some pretty harsh, depressing times. And you know what? We can do that. We can be there. We can have seasons of life that we're in those moments where things just all seem to go wrong. You try to do your best and it doesn't turn out the way you wished it would. Almost sometimes feels like even God's against you. Is God mad at me for something I did? Is that why this keeps happening? Is that why I keep struggling with this thing? Is that why these people keep treating me this way? Or is that why these events in my life have unfolded? Is because God is unhappy with me? I feel like I pray and it just bounces off the ceiling. I feel like I'm all alone and lost. and just kind of at my ends with nowhere to go, nowhere to turn. That's where Jeremiah was. Shock and loss were his life. And they sucked any feeling of hope or that things would be all right eventually out of it. It was like a black hole that sucked the hope of the future and his life 
completely gone. Imagine, if your hometown, imagine if Sioux Falls was utterly destroyed and maybe a few hundred people survived that weren't killed or taken away. And you were left coming out of your home, walking down your block, homes on fire, people dead in the street. That's what he is facing right here. That's what's happened to him. And that's where he is at. The feeling of emptiness and sadness because he knew this was coming. God had told them. But the good thing about the Lord, as the song that we sang, is that he is faithful. Even in the bad times, even in the hard times, even when you feel like you're in a small room that no matter where you turn, there's a wall and there's nowhere to go, God is still faithful. And you can experience all the negative and harsh things that life brings. And the the problem is, is we live in a sin-cursed world and it it doesn't get better, not here. We can have good days and God wants us to be happy and enjoy life and there are days like today when it's going to be 50 degrees out And then days like tomorrow, when it's going to be zero. Right? The Lord, we live in a a world that is cursed by sin. And until the Lord returns, that's how it will be. It will wax worse and worse. But the Lord is still faithful. And Jeremiah remembers that as well. Go down to verse number 20. I stopped at verse 19. Let's read verse number 20. Jeremiah continues, after all the depression and the sadness he has in verse 20, he says, My soul hath them still in remembrance, as in, and is humbled in me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He remembers that even though times are tough, and even though judgment comes, the Lord is faithful. The Lord never changes. The Lord is who he is and does what he says he's going to do. His people sinned. His people turned away from him. And there was judgment for that. And he's faithful in those moments as well. But he's also faithful when we turn towards him and when his people turn towards them. And he returns them from their captivity. And Jeremiah, because he knew the Lord, because he had a relationship with the Lord, he knew that. He knew, though, even things were bad and things got, I mean, he didn't know where to go, what to turn. He felt like his prayers weren't being answered, but he remembered, because he knew the Lord, that he is faithful, that his mercies endureth forever, that they're new for us every morning, just like the song sang. And if you didn't realize, those lyrics came from Scripture. That's literally Scripture in a hymn. His mercies are new every day, and he never lost sight of that. That's the one thing about God that kept him going. And when you have bad times, when you have a hard season of life or hard relationships in life, things, maybe portions of your life, sections of your life that just never seem to go right, no matter the troubles of life, it could be stress from work, health issues, you just can't get better or someone you love is is terminally ill, struggling marriage, a marriage that maybe is on the rocks, marriage that maybe you just you just aren't getting along you feel distant to one another family members children parents friends that have brought sorrow to your soul that have made life choices that just go against what you stand with what you believe in and they proudly go that direction and you're the bad one people that do that to you death of a loved one people you've loved your whole life that are no longer on this earth Young, 
old, anywhere in between, when someone you love leaves, those feelings, those emotions, that place where you go, where it's, you don't know where to go, and you're at a loss, God's steadfast love for you never, ever changes. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, even if you feel like maybe he doesn't even know you're there, he still loves you because God is faithful. So what is, what is faithfulness? Right? We, we've heard that word. It's not used as much. You ever look up on Google and look up words, and it gives you, like, the Webster's Dictionary comes and says, usage over time, right? How much of the word is used in culture. Faithfulness is, like, way up here, and then about the 1960s, it just goes, and no one uses faithfulness anymore. We don't use that word to describe things. But faithfulness is steadfast in affection or allegiance, It's steadfastness and affection or allegiance. I think that applies to God and towards us, his steadfastness and his affection or love towards us as his people. Uh, Second definition is is firm adherence to promises or an observance of duty. There's where we're, we're missing in our culture today. And we could talk, and I'll spend a little time here about talking about the faithfulness of us as human beings and how God looks for faithfulness in his people Uh, But mostly we're talking about today is the faithfulness of God. But to give you a little illustration on uh, faithfulness or maybe the lack of faithfulness in our culture today, as I mentioned, the word isn't used very much. And if you work with people or interact with human beings, the character trait doesn't really exist as much in a lot of people as well. Um, I employ some employees at my business and uh, even just this past Friday, it's kind of like the Lord does things on purpose I ever thought that? Maybe the Lord knows what he's doing? I don't know, just the thought I had. Um, but knowing I was preaching this weekend, uh, this Friday, um, I was supposed to get off work early. Now, I'm the boss, so usually when you get off early, you, you just do because you're the boss, right? And Friday afternoon, I was going to spend some time studying and, and kind of repreparing myself for tonight or this morning. And uh, so as I was supposed to get off early, about two hours before getting off early, my shift manager called and said she had been throwing up all day. Well, that's, you don't, I mean, that's not good, right? You shouldn't work. I mean, rule of thumb, shouldn't work when you're throwing up, not especially at a restaurant. Okay, fair, that's fair. Um, another employee, high schooler, um, is gone. Uh, she was supposed to work earlier this week, and she didn't show up, and her mom had no idea where she was. Uh, come to find out, she jumped on a plane and flew to Arizona. So she's not, she's not going to work her shift Friday. <laughs> long commute from Arizona. I doubt she has the money to buy a return ticket. Um, Some family drama there, some family issues, and I mean, pause for a minute, but the spiritual side of that, raise your kids right, teach them the Lord, teach them the love of the Lord, have respect for their their, their parents, their elders. Um, Unpause. Okay. Um, So 50%, I had four people scheduled to work that night, 50% of my workforce not showing up. Um, when you have four, 50% is, I mean, 50% is a lot, but when you don't, yeah, it's two. Dale's count one, four, two. <laughs> two is left. I was, I forgot, thank you. Uh, so two people were not going to be there, which means I only had two people to work. So a lot of my employees are high school kids. They are busy. They have other activities that they do. And on such short notice, guess who ended up filling 25% of the 50% that was out? This guy. And it made me think of, it was frustrating, annoying, like I had plans, not even selfish plans. Like I wasn't going to go, you know, frisbee golf or something. It's not, oh, don't call it frisbee golf. That's, is that what it's called? No, disc golf. Frisbee golf, something totally different. I wasn't going to go have fun or entertain myself. 
right? I wasn't going to sit down and just take a nap. I was going to do something spiritual and something important, something necessary. So a responsibility I had, I was going to devote time to it. And now all that was taken away. My early going home early not only didn't turn into going home early, it turned into going home late, like after the day is over. So to me, it was frustrating. But what God brought to me is faithfulness. It's hard to find faithful people to just work a shift. And I'm even willing to pay them to be there. And sometimes I have a hard time doing it. The, the responsibility or the definition, the, the observance of duty, a commitment, right? When you work a job, you commit to work a schedule in return for wages. And hopefully us as Christians, we don't have issues with this. But I know sometimes I've been there before. And when my youth, when I was dumber than I am now, um, I had skipped on work one day. And maybe this is God coming back and saying, yeah, what goes around comes around. What you sow is what you reap. Right? We heard a sermon about that not too long ago. But I did. I called off work and I wasn't even throwing up. I was just, I just, I think I wanted to spend time with my girlfriend. I think it was what it was, who is now my wife, so it's her fault. <laughs> she caused me to err. No, I made the choice, but I decided to skip work one day to do nothing. Responsibility and faithfulness. That is unfaithful. That is unfaithful to what you've committed to do in a job. And as people, God looks to us as his people, representing him to be faithful in our lives, to pay our bills, to follow through with what we say we're going to do, to, to obey the authorities that are over us, to honor him by being who he expects us to be. The faithful man that God looks for, we are supposed to be that. And we struggle with that as a human race. We struggle with committing. We struggle with doing what we're supposed to do. And you can look at the faithfulness of humans and be like, wow, that's depressing too. That's angering. That's frustrating. And that's maybe self-indicting sometimes. And that's not fun. And you can say, man, if, if that's our problem, who, what hope do we have? Right? Where everyone just does what they want to do regardless of the responsibilities. But the good thing is that God is not man. God is God. God is not unfaithful. God is always faithful. That's, if you can count on anything with God, which are many, you can always count on him to be and do what he says he's going to do and be who he says that he is. So faithfulness defined. In Exodus chapter 3, God used the present tense form of the verb to be, and he used it for his name. Right, Brother John talked a little bit about that uh, on Wednesday night. He said his name, when he told Moses his name, it was I am. That's, I mean, that's a bold name to be called, and God can do that because he is. It describes his eternality, his perfection, his knowledge, his will, and his faithfulness. God is who he says he is, and God will always do what he says he's going to do. He always judges when you don't do what he says he's going to do, but he always loves when he says he loves God is who he says he's going to be. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says, For I am the Lord. Can you fill it in? I change not. I change not. You can count on God. He won't change. When people around you change, when things around you don't go the way they're supposed to go, God always does what he says he's going to do. God never changes. You can count on him. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God, he is God the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keepeth his commandments to a thousand generations. 
Your God is God. He is the God, the God you worship, the God we are here today for. The reason you got up this morning on a Sunday morning, got dressed, came to church, brought your Bible, brought your kids, sat in this pew to hear words taught, spoken from a human being from God's word is because your God is God. And you believe that. Now, you may, your heart may not be all in it today. You might have a rough day. You might have not had that on the tip of your mind or tip of your tongue and top of your mind that God is God and brought you that comfort. Maybe you're having a rough day, but you're here because you know this is where you're supposed to be. Well, let me take the moment and tell you that your God is God. He is the God, the only God that exists, the one, the only, and he is faithful. He tells us that in the Bible, which if you keep his commandment, his love and his mercy for you never ends. It says for a thousand generations. Now the word generations there, it actually means evermore, meaning there's no end to it. But let's just take our human word for generation. And generation is about 20 to 30 years is what they say. So that's 20 to 30,000 years that he is faithful for. If we just took our human math, 20 to 30,000 years. Like the earth has not even been around for a fraction of that. But actually, generations just means evermore. It means it never ends. Just like him. Just like eternity. His faithfulness to you and his love for you as an individual never ends. Never stops. James 1.17. We've heard messages on this here recently too. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom... There is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Meaning the gifts that we are given, the perfect gifts that come from our God, God is good and his gifts are good enough for me. That God has no variableness, means there's not even a little variation in who he is. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't have off moments. He never stumbles over his words. He never says the wrong thing. He never does something wrong. He is perfect, he is love, and he is never changing. There's no shadow of turning, meaning he he doesn't even change enough to cast a shadow. There's There's nothing to cast a shadow in any part of who he is. That is the God that you've placed your faith in. That's the God that wants your life. That's the God that wants your heart. And if when you give your heart to someone like that, you can rest secured in who he is, that he loves you cares for you, wants the best for you, wants the best life you can live on this sin-cursed earth, he wants it for you. And he will help you live that life. Problem is, we, we have to give up our way for that to happen. God is faithful. God is faithfulness defined. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ never changes. Who he says he is in Genesis is who he is revelation and who he is today for you so if you need to know some stability if you need some stability in your life if you need some assurances in your life and we all do we all do at times some days you might might be having a season in life that everything's going great finances are good checkbook is at a number that you feel comfortable with right it's always could be higher but you're good you're not scared you're not worried not thinking about the next bill is going to come from where people are going to go Even if life is good, God is still the same when the number is not what you want it to be in that checking account. When there's too many days before payday and there's too many things that need that money and you don't know where to go and you don't know how you're going to make it. 
And maybe your relationships in your life are turned sour. Someone is treating you unfairly. Someone is making life hard for you. Someone might be making life difficult and miserable and scary even for you. God is the same God that day too. And he loves you as much as he does in the good days. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same. So God, again, is faithfulness defined. So based on knowing these things and understanding that simple truth, really, and simple logic, knowing that Jesus is the same, God is faithful, he loves us, and that will never change, knowing that simple truth and just having logic on that, let alone our trust in him and what we say we love him and believe him and live for him, that demands, really, that we live our lives here on this earth for him and not for ourselves. Knowing who he is, knowing his faithfulness and believing that, and know, and I mean believing what God's word says and trusting it and believing that it actually is true, knowing God is faithful like that should mean that we live differently today. That we live our life, our daily life, in a, in a manner that is putting our trust in that faithfulness and not our unfaithfulness. It should change the way we live. And these, knowing God is faithful and knowing God is love, these are great truths and we can have comfort in them. But if we just say, man, I sure am glad God is faithful. All right, back off to do my own thing. We missed the point. We missed the point. God has the last word on all things. Everything he says is true. Whenever God speaks, those things happen. They've happened, they are happening, or they will happen. Because he never changes what he says goes. So he tells us that in his word, in Isaiah, that his word will not return to him void. That means when he says something, when his word goes out there, and we know the gospel, the saving message of Jesus Christ, when that goes out, it it does things, it changes things. If you've been saved and your life, your sins are forgiven because of what Jesus has done on the cross, your life is different. Your future is different. Your destination is different. You have changed as a person. His word changes things. It's not empty. They aren't man's words. They aren't my employees that say, yep, I'll work my schedule. Actually, I can't. Those words, that's not God's words. God's words are true. He tells them they won't return void. In Hebrews 1, the Bible says the universe, which we all exist in. Would you agree we all exist in the universe today? Okay. Just want to make sure we're all on the same page there. We all exist in this universe. The Bible says this universe that we exist in, the only place we know of, right, the only existence we know of, will perish. It'll be gone. Everything you know, everywhere you've lived, every car you've driven, every house you've set foot in, every destination on this planet you've been to will perish, as well as the other planets that you've never been to but you've seen in the sky, And the planets and stars you've never seen because they're so far away. The Bible says in Hebrews that it'll wax old like an old coat, an old old robe, and it'll be folded up and put away. That's what will happen to this universe. It'll end. God says that, and because God says that, and because he's faithful, it will happen. There's no question about it. It's not for debate. You can say it's not true, but that doesn't change the truth of the matter. That will be folded up, everything we know will be put away. But he will still be the same. He remains the same. And he's made promises to us when that universe is gone and folded up and put away like an old coat, that he's going to make a new one. He's going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And you'll set foot on that new earth minus sin. 
minus the curse, the way that God intended it to be in Genesis, perfection, paradise. There'll be no negative one degrees temperatures anymore. I mean, it'll be perfect all the, I assume, I don't know. It'll be perfect all the time. Happiness, no sadness, no tears, no sin, no curse, no unfaithfulness from anyone else. Perfection. So God says, I put that old thing away and I bring the new thing and that's what he will present to us. Jesus himself says in Matthew, Jesus himself on this earth, he said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but what? My words shall not pass away. He's giving confidence that what he says lasts past everything you know. And it's hard for our brains, my brain, I won't speak for you, it's hard for my brain to comprehend past what we that everything it's hard for me to comprehend eternity right the older you get the shorter eternity seems when you're 12 you know waiting for the next cartoon to come on is an eternity waiting for the pizza to cook in the oven is an eternity i'm starving i'm so bored right because it's just taking forever and then you become 41 you're like wait a minute where it's already 2022 how it was just 20 it was just 1998 like yesterday and it's already 2020 how did that happen the longer you live, the shorter you see life to be. And that goes back to what I said before we started with thinking about heaven and our life here on this earth is so short. And we put all our eggs in this basket, even as Christians. We put all our eggs in this basket of life on earth. And we often overlook life where it really starts. I mean, if you compare timelines, even if you live to be 100, timeline of 100 versus eternity... We spend way more time, we'll spend way more time with the Lord in heaven than we ever will here on this earth, but we put all our effort, all our works, everything we do into today and into this week. And, and we need to be smart. I'm not saying throw it all away and live for, for your death, but I'm saying God expects us to, to live for him because of his faithfulness. He's given us that safety net to know whatever you do on this earth, the more you do for your time in heaven, the better off you're going to be. Don't put all your eggs into this basket on this earth. It's not about this. It's about our relationships with each other. It's about our salvation. It's about telling others about the Lord. But live for him. Live for him as things that last eternally, not things that are temporal. And when we understand the faithfulness that he has and that his words last past everything we know, if we're honest with ourselves and we actually believe that it must change you, you can't hear that and just be like, that's great. Back to my old ways. Back to living for myself. Back for being disrespectful to my parents. Back for being, doing what I want to do even though I know it's wrong. Being, going back to doing, maybe tweaking things a little bit and trying to justify my sin in my mind. No, no. Why are we wasting our time? It's not real to us if that's how we live. Now we're going to make mistakes. We're human. We'll make mistakes. But be honest with yourself. Be brutally brutally honest with yourself the sins that you commit the disrespect that you have the 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 emotions and sometimes the hate i mean bring politicalness into it if you want you hate somebody because of what they say or what they stand for sin i think god said something about hate being as bad as murder but as christians we justify ourselves we justify our actions we justify our words and our thoughts and our emotions if they line up with something else that we feel is good we put all our eggs in the basket of this earth and we overlook the f eternality of who he is that's because we don't really think about the faithfulness of our lord towards us 
Heaven and earth shall pass away, but his words will not pass away. And we can use those, those statements to justify and, and back up our Bible. And I believe that that definitely applies to that, that you know, Jesus said those words 2,000 years ago plus, And we can still read them. And they are what he said. And I believe that 100%. And I think that applies. But I also believe it applies in how we live our lives as a Christian. If we understand that his words will not pass away, that means what he says is truth. And what he says is what we should live our ways by. His word, the unchanging God, his words are not mortal words. So when he doesn't change, that goes back to everything that he says. So the commandments that he gives us, the instructions that he gives us, those are not mortal words. Those are supernatural words of God. They last forever. They're eternal. They never change. And they deserve, really, they demand a response from all the people of the earth. Every human being that has ever lived is demanded to make a response to God's word. It's not a choice. It's not a, well, it doesn't apply to me. I don't believe that. I'm not in that religion. No, no. God is God, the only God. And when he has his words, every human being that has ever lived is, is demanded to make a response to those words. Initially, it's a response to salvation. You choose to accept his gift of salvation, of sending his son to this earth and dying on the cross for your sins because you can't do anything about your sins. You are sinful. You can't pay for them. He can because he is perfect. He is never changing. His blood, that we were saying about this morning as well, washes away those sins. You are demanded as a human being to make a response to that. You accept that gift and you become his child forever and you have that home in heaven we talked about or you ignore and reject his words. It's a response and you are demanded to make it. You don't have a choice. By the time you die, you will either have chosen to accept those words as truth or reject them. Those are the only two options. And we're all faced with it. And it's truth. There's no way around it. But then once you accept his, his salvation, once you respond to those words of that he loves you, that he sent his son to die for you, once you respond positively and accept those words, now you have more response to how he expects us to live, to how he expects you to conduct yourself to represent him you are required to respond to his word, even after salvation. It's not a choice. It's not, a, eh, yeah, well, I take this. I really believe this portion of scripture, but this one over here kind of steps on my toes a little bit, so I'll just pretend that one doesn't exist. And you would never say that out loud, but you live your life. We live our lives that way. We live our lives and we believe certain parts of it, and I'm on board and I will stand my ground here, but over here, eh, that, that hits too close to home, so I just don't talk about it. Your life that you live every day from, from the moment you understand and are aware of what God has done for you. So whether you're 15 years old or you're 50 years old or you're 100 years old or anywhere in between, God demands a response from his word. Your choices every day are a response to his words, to his faithfulness. Do you live your life in doing what you think or what you know, quote unquote, to be best? We all do. We all fall into that category. We've all done what we think is best and didn't consult the Lord, didn't consult the Holy Spirit, didn't even think what the Lord would have us do. We do that all the time. Maybe on the big ones, the big decisions, we'll pray about it and we'll think about it a little bit more, but do we really consider what the Lord, the faithful Lord, would have us do or we just do what we think is best? 
Do what our knowledge has given us. Isaiah 41 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. I will strengthen thee, uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Don't you want that kind of faithful God on your side with living your life? Or do you just want to do it your own way? I want God's right hand of righteousness to strengthen me. I want to live with him and his input. I want my response to his words to be, forget what I know, Lord, tell me what you know. Forget my thoughts, what my desires are, even what my my plans for my future might be. You tell me what I should do. Because he is faithful, right? He never changes. He always wants what's best for you. So if you're going to put your, your side away, what you think is best away, and go to him, that can only end positively. It did with salvation. We all had the faith in our lives with salvation to trust that only he knew what was best and only he could save us. And so we take, we say, whatever I think, working for it or being good or whatever my criteria is for salvation is a bad idea. I'm going to throw that away and say, whatever you say, Lord, is great and I believe you and I trust in what you can do and you alone great, awesome, thanks for the salvation, praise the Lord, I'm going to go do what I think is best now. That's what we do. Even without trying, because our natural bent in our humanity is our way. So if we aren't constantly kind of correcting the steering wheel back to his way, it'll just drift to our way. And it's a fight. And it's effort. You can't just coast through, through life as a Christian. You have to work at it. You have to work out your own salvation. It means you have to do what he wants you to do, not for salvation, but because you are saved. That is your responsibility. And often, I mean, I'll speak for myself. As a Christian, I coast too much. I rest on the things I know, rest on the things that I've learned, and I don't put all my effort into making sure I know what he wants me to do. Are you concerned in your life with what God wants you to do? Are you concerned at all with what God's input is on your life? And this often is towards teenagers. We use these types of messages to say, because they have the most future ahead of them. I mean, I have less future than them because I'm older, right? That's how it goes. I know, don't be sad. Carter's crying. Because he's like, no, Dad, what do you mean? You're going to live forever. Their future is much longer. And we tell them as, as young people, trust in the Lord. And we see as older people the experience of when that always works out better. And they may not see that. And so we plead with them and say, don't do what you want. Do what God wants. If you do what God wants, you'll find what you actually need and what you really want, what will make you happy. And we tell our teenagers that and we plead with them to do the right thing and go the right way. And then we as adults be like, but I'm fine. I've got that experience, so I'm good. I'll just make my own choices, my own decisions. No, the Bible pleads with us, don't do your own thing. Trust in the Lord. He is faithful. Do what he wants you to do. Plead with him for his direction. Plead with him for his way. You don't know. You don't have it figured out. None of us do. We need him. We need him to show us. It's the only way to live a life that is with him, with his right hand upholding us. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. The faithful God, God the faithful one, thinks thoughts towards you that are of peace, happiness, joy, to give you an expected end, to give you stability, to give you a future that's worth living. God, the God, the creator of everything, thinks thoughts about you. 
individually. He's God, so he can do that. You know the thoughts when you married folks, the thoughts you had for your fiance, right? You were going to get married, but you weren't quite married yet. You thought about him or her all the time. That's all you could think about. Before you got married and before you got engaged and you were dating, that's the only person you wanted to spend time with. You thought about her all the time, thought about what she looked like, thought about what she smelled like. You thought about the things she wore. You thought about the way she made you feel. You thought about her smile. You thought about her blue eyes. You thought about her brown hair. You thought how pretty she was and how even she just, just couldn't wait to be around her again the next time. My wife's face is getting very red. She has, she has blue eyes and brown hair. I'm talking about her. You thought about her all the time. And girls, you probably thought about him too. I'm not going to describe a guy in that way because that's weird. But you thought about each other. That's all you could do. You couldn't stop thinking about her. Couldn't stop thinking about him. Now God, who loves you more than you ever loved your spouse, more than you ever could, the capacity for love you have for another human being pales in comparison to the capacity that God loves you. He thinks about you like that and more. He thinks about what you're going to do today. His thoughts for you is peace. He wants you to have a good day. He wants you to make the right choices. He's like, man, I hope... Here, I'll just I'll use Carter. Man, I hope Carter does the right thing today. He's my son, so I can do that. I hope he does the right thing today. Man, Madison, I hope she responds right to her mom today. I hope she's kind to her friends. I hope she's kind to the adults around her. That's what he does to you. That's he thinks about you. I mean, how humbling is that to know the God, the creator of everything, the creator of earth, the creator of heaven, where you will go, the face you will see. The face Miss Edith is seeing today, that Lord thinks about you. Does knowing that change the way you think about him? Does knowing that change the way you respond to people out there? Respond to people in here? Does that change the way you live your life? It should. It's a big deal. It's a huge deal. Matthew 7, 7 says, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. God wants to give you things. God wants to enable you in your life. He wants you to be happy. He wants you to live a life worth living for him. 2 Peter 1.4 says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. Throughout God's word, he gives us promises upon promises upon promises of how he'll keep us, how he'll love us, how he'll provide for us. He knows when birds fall to the ground. He knows every hair on your head. Some he has to count a lot less than others. But he knows how many are there. He cares that much about you. Doesn't that deserve living for him? Doesn't that deserve, nay, demand a respect for him? An honor for him? A love for him? Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should, not, that he should repent. Hath he said and shall not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall not he make it good? The Lord is faithful. What he says is what he'll do. He will always love you. That will never change. He will always think of you. That will never change. No matter what happens in your life, good, bad, or indifferent, God is always the same throughout all the instabilities of life. God is the one constant. And he loves us. And he wants us to love him. He wants us to have a relationship with him. He, he calls us his children. Think of your children, what you want best for them, even when they sin, even when they disobey. 
even when they grow up and they live a way that's not how you taught them, you still want the best for them. They're your children, and you're a human. How much more exponentially does God want the best for us as his children? And we just be like, eh, I got it. God is faithful. So Christian, live every part of your life for him. He is faithful. He deserves it. And to do otherwise is basically brushing him aside. What pride, what gall, what pride is really the best word to use that we have, that we think we got it. God is faithful. Live your life for him. And if you're not born again, if you're, I use the word saved, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus Christ alone for your eternity, everyone lives forever. When you die, you, you die physically, but your soul, your spirit lives forever. And there are two places. I talked about two choices, two responses to God's word. You can either accept it or reject it. When we die, we go somewhere. Life doesn't end. Life begins when we die. And it either ends up living in heaven with the Lord or living in hell with where punishment is made for sins. There are no other places. There's no middle ground. There's no, yeah, but my friends will be there. There's none of that. It's heaven or hell with the Lord or separated from him. There are no in-betweens. So if you've not been saved from hell is the reason we use the word saved, but born again into his family, a child of his, he's also faithful to you. He extends his offer. He gives you Jesus died on the cross for your sin over 2,000 years ago because you couldn't pay for it yourself. He can because he is perfect. He is sinless. God became man, died on the cross, shed his blood, and is willing to offer you the gift of that payment for salvation from hell. All you have to do is accept it. You just have to understand what he did, believe what he did, turn away from your sins and say, I can't do anything about it. Only you can. Please save me. Accept that gift of salvation. And now you've responded in acceptance and your future is in heaven. It's as simple and as serious as that. But he's faithful to you in offering that to you until the day you die. He will offer you that choice of acceptance of his payment. And it's up to you to make that choice. It's up to you to respond that way. But he is faithful for all your life to offer that to you. Don't let that faithfulness go. Accept that gift of salvation. It's the only way to heaven. John 3.16, everyone knows the verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever, anybody, you could put your name there, and that's what God wanted. For whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The Lord is faithful to those that don't know him. He is faithful to offer that salvation, that payment. Accept it. It demands a response. It demands a response. And you're being faced and almost put to the test right now on how you will respond. You can walk out of here and change nothing in your heart, change no response, and you've really responded to say no. And the Lord may give you another day to continue to say no. But one day, the days will be over, and you will no longer be able to say no. The choice will be made, and it will be over. And hell will be your eternity. Not because God doesn't love you, but because God is faithful and just. And there is a payment that sin must be paid for. And that is the payment. But you don't have to pay it yourself. Allow Jesus to do what he did to pay for it. If we all stand together, every head bowed, every eye closed. I'd mentioned that 
God's word demands a response. And he, respond, he demands a response from those that are not born again for salvation. But Christian, he also demands a response from you on a daily basis. Multiple times a day, he demands a response from you to his word. And I often think as Christians that we, we think we respond to salvation and we're here in church and that's good enough and we're doing our best. But let me tell you, as from experience, we can always do more. We've never arrived. We will not have arrived until the Lord comes back. He demands a response from you and how you respond to his word. Will you respond with acceptance or will you reject? Those are choices you have and choices you make. we make every day. So as Brother Samuel sings and we have invitation, if the Lord has spoke to you, do business with him. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.